Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you for the organisers. Very glad to be here in Warwick, or as Andrew intimated, very glad to be back here in Warwick. Uh, I was an undergraduate here, 82, 85, and I would like to say that I have very fond memories of this room. Um, that's not necessarily true. I have memories of this room. Um, I had lectures in here, I won't tell you on which subject, uh, on a Friday afternoon from two till four, and it was, it was pretty bad. Okay, um, this is gonna be better, partly because it's gonna be shorter. So, um, actually in my first year, I actually lived, actually I didn't live in this room, of course. I lived on campus in Whitefields, um, some of you may know, and then moved off campus and went into North Coventry lived there for a year, so I think I can truly say that it's thanks to Warwick that I discovered paradise. <laughs> it's an in-joke for people who know, well, anyway. <laughs> anyway, oh, sorry about that, Andrew, I'll get on to the talk now. Um, so, this is based on work with a quite large number of co-authors, to whom I'm incredibly grateful, of course, and one thing I did want to say is that Dick has been an enormous inspiration uh, to all of us working in this field of subjective well-being. Of course, he's contributed to many fields other than that, but certainly in this one, he's been absolutely key. So Dick was too much too modest to show this picture, which is the great picture for inspiring debate. And this very simply shows you uh, movements in real GDP per capita in the US um, that's roughly doubled over the period 73 to 2003, and then average happiness from the general social survey in the US over the same period. And as you can see, those two series are not correlated. Okay, so rising GDP doesn't go with rising happiness. Why is that a shock? That's a shock because we know if we take any one of these data points, any one of these years, and look at the individuals within that country, within that year, richer people are happier. Now that's, that's absolutely true. Any data set you take, that's going to be true. So what we've got here is a paradox, and that's, that's what is known as the Easterlin paradox. In the cross-section, these two things are positively correlated. In time series, they're not. So which one's right? Well, of course, both of them. The answer is in social comparisons. And these are the ideas that Dick put forward to explain this, is that it's not money that brings happiness, it's money compared to how much other people get that brings happiness. And of course, in the cross-section, people are not only rich, they're also relatively rich. But as everyone gets richer, no one gets relatively richer, if you get the idea. So that's one way of resolving this, um, this paradox. The second, and this is an adaptation story, is that more money is good, but not for very long. I tend to get used to it. Okay. So there's been an enormous amount of work looking at these two kinds of explanations with respect to income. Um, this is work has been based on subjective well-being data. It's been based on behavioral, where we look at things like labor supply, consumption, savings, what have you, observable behaviors, experimental, or indeed recently neurological work. And all of this work has come to the conclusion that there are such 
income comparisons um, at work, and that's maybe why the Easterlin paradox um, comes about. So we want to, do, as economists, we want to do policy, right? That's what we're interested in. We want to know what, do, not only what is, we, we've got the normative question, what do we do about it? So if we believe all this work on income and well-being, this suggests that income doesn't work in raising well-being, at least in the long run. It's not going to work. So what, what should we do? So this is going to be the rich country, kind of rich country equivalent to what Dick was talking about. If income doesn't make us happier, what, what does? And that's what I've been working on um, for, for some time now. And in, in a way, there's a lot of nonsense that's talked in this area. Or people say, well, income doesn't work, therefore we should concentrate on, oh, I don't know, public safety. Okay, but who says we don't get used to public safety? That's the kind of question I've been asking myself. What about these other things that are supposedly important? Do we see social comparisons with respect to them, and do we see adaptation? So in the context of the sort of modern society, let me just run through two or three of these. Unemployment, terrible thing. Here's the recent data in the UK on unemployment, as you can see, since 2005. This has, been, uh, this has risen quite sharply and currently looks as though it's staying high, at least in historical terms. So, does that matter for well-being? Yep, it really does. This is just a, a simple illustration of the average well-being score of half a million uh, Europeans from the ECHP. As you can see, the unemployed are, well, they're not quite off the scale, but they sure are low. They're really way, way, way down. Okay, and in multivariate regressions, unemployment's one of the worst things that, you can, that can happen to you, along with widowhood. But the question remains, do you adapt to this unemployment? Do you get used to it so that after a while, you've been unemployed 12 months, it doesn't really matter anymore? And are there social comparisons? So is it better to be unemployed in a high unemployment region? Or in other words, if we all become unemployed, does it matter at all? Because we're all in the same boat. And there are such comparison effects with respect to unemployment, at least social comparisons. Unemployment hurts less the more there is a bit around. So this is my policy proposal to you, my bit of advice. If you're going to lose your job, do it in a high unemployment region. Okay, because you have lots of sort of friends you can hang out with then, presumably. So this does actually work. It works in UK data, especially for men, less so for women. This is just proof that I did this. We won't need to go into the details of that. Unemployment also hurts less when I share it with other household members. So this is a, if you like, it's a comparison that's very close to home. Consider a household with two adults, both of whom are active in the labour market. And this is actual research I did, so it's not a hypothetical example. So they can either be employed or unemployed, both me and my spouse. So that gives me four cases, okay, which we can call E-E-E-U-U-E-U-U, right. So this is a scoop. The best situation is, of course, that you're both working. If you both want to work, you should both work, okay, good. Second best situation is I'm in work and my partner's unemployed. That's a bit less good. Now, what's the worst situation of all? And when I started doing this, you know, what a no-brainer, you, you, terrible. And it's, it's really not. It's UE by a long chalk. I'm unemployed and my partner's in work. 
So in that sense, if I'm going to be unemployed, I prefer to share it with other people. Okay, one thing I need to underline here, I think, is that these, when I teach my undergraduate students, indeed my graduate students as well, um, I always say there are three S's when you're doing empirical work. Significance, of course, sign, positive or negative, the other one's size. Is this really important? And here I would argue that these effects exist, but they're probably marginal, okay? So unemployment really is always bad. Comparisons may make it a little bit less bad, but on average it's really bad, okay? So let's not get carried away with this literature and say that, oh, 10% unemployment doesn't matter. It does. Okay, um, moving on to the second kind of comparison, adaptation. There's only little adaptation with respect to unemployment. Um, just how to read these figures. These are following the same people over time. Okay, so this is a panel analysis. This is the year that they become unemployed. These are the years preceding that unemployment. And this dotted line is what would have happened to them had they not become unemployed. So it's a kind of baseline reference level. What we can see here is the sharp drop on becoming unemployed, which doesn't go away. Even after four or five years for men, unemployment is just as bad as it was in the first year. Okay, so no adaptation to unemployment. Second uh, topic, and I'm, I'm going to be quick, Andrew. Don't be, don't be worried, this is gonna, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be, it's gonna be quick, <laughs> more to the point. Okay, second subject, marriage and divorce. Marital status. The divorce rate has been going up in England and Wales. It's gone down again recently. I don't know why that is, actually. Um, but it's obviously much higher than it used to be in the past. Again, the question, in modern society, does a high divorce rate matter? Well, with respect to marital status, is marriage a good thing? Uh, the answer is yes for anything up to two years. It's, um, as you can see, so this goes up and it's, you know, it's high for the first year and then you're kind of back down to where you were. And for women, well, after five years, you're actually worse off than you were before. <laughs> On average, okay, your marriages are all really good. This, this is other people, right? So that, that's the same kind of adaptation, in the sense there is adaptation to marriage. You may wonder why this is so low. And of course, the answer is that there's the, the seven-year rich and the 30-year ditch. Some, some of these people are going to be getting divorced. And, um, and this is what happens when you get divorced. And, and in a way, this is, this, this is a huge vindication of man being a rational animal, okay? And women being a rational animal as well, if I can say that, because obviously the pre-divorce period is terrible. It's, it's a very, very bad period. It's very tough, very stressful. Uh, what happens when you get divorced? Well, you get this kind of ping upwards and then afterwards, you're actually significantly more satisfied. That's what those crosses and, and squares mean. It's actually a good idea. And even for women who unfortunately tend to get saddled with the kids, after five years, you're happier divorced than you were married beforehand. Okay? So that, divorce is a good idea. Let me just get, let me get this straight. <laughs> let me rephrase that sentence. Divorce is a good idea for people who get divorced. Okay, if you're happily married, don't do it. Okay, don't, I'm not responsible for this. So if you're happily married, stay married, but if you're, you're going to get divorced, it looks like it's a good idea as well, on average. 
Okay, should you have children? Hmm. Well, I'll just... I'll, I'll just move on, I think, with that one. <laughs> See, my, my hope here, this, this is my hope, is that this line is going up, right? This is what I think. So my kids are 12 and 14 now. So my hope is by the time they're about 30, this, you know, we're going to be up here. <laughs> but we don't have enough data to look at that for the moment. But at least in the young children are, are quite tough, as maybe some of, us can, uh, 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 some of us can agree with. Okay. Right, so the last thing about divorce is, um, this is something we're working on at the moment. Divorce is easier to live with in a high divorce area for the adults. Okay, so the more divorced people there are around you, the happier you are as a divorcee. And that's not only because you want to go out with them. Um, men are happier when there are more divorced men in the same region, for example. Okay, third topic is obesity. Um, this is another thing that's on the rise. As we know, again, does this matter? Um, oh, yeah, this is um, at last an indicator where the UK is a top 10 country. Right, there we are, as the UK just <laughs> creeping into number 10 position there. Percentage of obese adults, uh, well done. So, does this matter? Um, in, a, in a way it does, because we know that obese people are on average less happy than people with a, what, what we think of as a medically acceptable weight, which is a, a BMI of under 30, 25 to 30, you're overweight, you're not obese. Um, we can actually look at happiness data to put some uh, structure on this. Um, the happiest men and women have got BMIs that are actually very close to the World Health Organization's uh, at mandated normal level of around 25. However, we do have comparison effects here as well. If I'm obese, I'm unhappy. If I'm with an obese partner, I'm unhappy, except if I'm obese as well. And two partners who are both obese are just as happy as two partners who are not obese. So in that sense, rising weight for everyone may not make any difference if we all match on the marriage market in that way. Okay, last thing I wanted to say is religion. And this is one thing that's going down, of course. You may know religious uh, um, attendance, religious affiliation has is, is been going down uh, for most mainstream religions, at least in the UK. And here it's the figures that very few young people say that religion is important to them. Now, is that a cohort effect or is that an aging effect? We don't know. My, my gut feeling will be that's a cohort effect. I don't know. Okay, so does that matter? So this is almost the last thing I have to say, Andrew. Uh, so the unemployed are happier living with other unemployed. The employed like living with the employed. So let's just switch that to religion, shall we? and say things like Protestants like living with Protestants, Catholics like living with Catholics, and atheists like living with atheists, right? You have this kind of optimal matching. Um, right, as I say here, and wrong. That doesn't come out the way I thought it would. It is true that religious people like living with other religious people. However, atheists like living with religious people as well. Uh, <laughs> So there are spillovers, but they're the other way round. There's something, just a general positive uh, uh, feeling, some, some kind of nice aspect of behavior or whatever that religious give. And actually, atheists are less happy 
uh, living when, uh, as their local region becomes more atheistic. Okay, so um, end of slideshow, click to exit. I think that's all I Thank have you. to say.